0: Is it possible that your baptism is invalid? Well, that's what we're going to talk about here tonight on G220 Radio. Hey, this is Ricky Gantz with Mike Miller. This is G220 Radio. A program where we talk about real conversations, or real—does we have real discussions with real people of a spiritual nature? Uh, tonight, it's me and Mike having this conversation. We're going to talk about invalid baptisms because there was an article back in the—I think the second week of the second week yeah, of February. February. 9th is when was yeah, posted. February. There was a news article that came out, and then there was a there was a news report that came out, and then there was an article that came out. And um, speaking about this priest who had been performing baptisms wrong. And so now all these baptisms were invalid. Mike, tell us about this story.
1: Yeah. So this comes out of Arizona. I dropped a little bit, um, last week on our episode that we're talking about it, but the Catholic church had to make a statement and fire someone. I guess he stepped down. He didn't fire. Um, because he was using the wrong phrasing in baptism. He was saying, we baptize you, thinking kind of in collective as a church, instead of, I baptize you, which would kind of indicate his priestly role. And so for for 20 years, he's been saying the wrong phrasing, and that made it where all these people's thousands of people's baptisms were are no longer or aren't valid that they are in, in a sense they have not been baptized. And so this is obviously a big deal. And, you know, we'll talk about a little bit later and maybe coming up here, probably sooner rather than later, kind of the, Kind of the importance in the Catholic Church of baptism. She would kind of understand why this is a big deal. And kind of throughout the Newsweek article, they, you know, there's this idea that you have to administer it in a certain way that Jesus tells us to say, as they would say, to, um, Say this. You have to say the certain words and do the certain actions for it to be valid.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, obviously, this turned every like everyone up in arms. Some people have been already baptized, rebaptized, as they say, um, to to make them
0: valid. And well, that's really, it's a big yeah, deal for a Roman a Catholic. Well, we're not Roman Catholics here, and we don't promote Roman Catholicism. We're going to talk about that here uh, mm-hmm. in the program. But that's a big deal if you're a Roman Catholic, because we believe in original sin. Roman Catholicism believes in original sin. But their baptism is removing the original sin of an individual and 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 giving to them this infused grace, mm-hmm. right, uh, so that they can then do these things in life to live out, to then become, uh, you know, they keep up with all these different sacraments where there's these means of grace that are provided in these sacraments. And so really, if you don't have the baptism, correct, all these other means of graces that the Catholic church says that you receive in these, these sacraments, you don't really receive them. You know, that's a big deal. And, And then what do you say to those who have died? Who you know maybe twenty years ago when this guy started doing this, died. Um, Yeah. What do you say to those families? Where where are they? Ultimately, if they're trusting in Roman Catholicism, Roman Catholic teachings, uh, then they're not Christian. But what what do they say? That's I want to make sure we're clear on that. We're not Roman Catholicism is not Christian. Yeah. Not that there can't be Christians within Roman Catholicism who are saved because of the justification by faith in Christ. But those who adhere to their teachings is not Christian. But this is a big deal for them, theologically. Yeah. Like, what, 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 what do you do? What do you say to these families?
1: Yeah, and so, I mean, this is Coster. Obviously, I mentioned, um, you know, people are already being baptized. They're trying to reach out. They don't know. Again, thousands of people, and they don't know all. And so, obviously, as a Protestant, we can just sit here and go, well. Well, that's dumb. You know, like, why does it matter? And I think we'll explore and kind of what I want to explore a little bit. Um, is not only Catholic teaching, kind of understand them. And we're not here to bash the Catholics. And that's not our goal tonight. But to, to think about this issue biblically and also through church history, I think there's very early on in the church the donatist schism provides us some insight also on how to think about these issues but again if you're if you're catholic this is a big deal cuz your original sin is washed away with baptism mm. and so if you don't have that kind of cleansing to begin with, then as you said, Ricky, um, all the other six sacraments are in somewhat um, tainted. You you yeah. actually haven't performed them because you can't, and not only the sign that um, you're technically not part of the church because you didn't have a valid baptism. Yeah. Well let, let's and that can render issues also.
0: Yeah, let's pull this up from the the catechism to kind of talk about this just a little bit briefly here to show in their Catholic catechism um 1257 here says the Lord himself affirms that baptism is necessary for salvation. He also commands his disciples to proclaim the gospel to all nations and to baptize them. Baptism is necessary for salvation for those to whom the gospel has been proclaimed and who have had the possibility of asking for this sacrament. The church does not know of any means other than baptism that assures entry into eternal beatitude. This is why she takes care not to neglect the mission she has received from the Lord to see that all who can be baptized are reborn of water and the Spirit. God has bound salvation to the sacrament of baptism, but He Himself is not bound by His sacraments. Which, <clears throat> I mean, we can really kind of parse that a little bit. I, I find it a little confusing in what they're saying, because I don't think God, God is, God is not going to do things outside of His nature. So He's not going to say, "Here, this is how it has to be," and then, but He can do something differently. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, but I think to kind of get to the kind of the main point, which I think brings that brings that out there in it, is that baptism is necessary for salvation. Yeah. Now we can quibble about whether baptism is necessary for salvation. Obviously, we hold here at G two twenty that baptism is kind of the first step of obedience in connection with repentance and the gospel proclamation that it provides by dying to yourself in sin and being raised again in new life, being washed by the the waters of baptism. In that sense, there is kind of that symbolism of being cleansed by the spirit.
0: Yeah, it's a deed but, of faith, but it's not faith.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's not, in one sense, not required for yeah. salvation. Obviously, the thief on the cross is kind of the ultimate litmus test on what is, has to be known to be get into heaven and what has to be done. Um, Essentially faith and repentance that we see, but God has ordained baptism as kind of the entrance right into the church. And we don't neglect that as Protestants or as reformed Baptist in our case, but that's important that How we would say is that you'd have to have faith to receive it. And so obviously this is a big shakeup within the Catholic Church. It has ramifications. But the question is, are they right? Like, is this the difference between we and I? Is that a difference that neglects? the act and i mean we hold to um a church uh, ecclesiology ecclesiology i'll get the word Mm. right um that promotes that god has told us how we are to worship right and now so the question is how far does that go Obviously, the Catholic Church has made the stand. This is doctrinal that if you say we and not I, you have changed the, the right, you have changed baptism, and now it's an invalid baptism. But is that correct? Is that how we should see kind of this going? And where do the words, I baptize you, or you or we baptize you, where do these come from, and are they, in one sense, the way we're supposed to do it?
0: Well, I think even apart from Roman Catholicism, you do see this with Oneness Pentecostals, the apostolic or maybe even the Church of Christ who believes in a a baptism that is necessary for salvation. The apostolics would say you have to baptize, with this phrase, in the name of Jesus, not in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, right? But in the name of Jesus. And they'd say that if you don't do it like that, then it's invalid. It's not a, a proper baptism. We would say that they're baptizing that way in the in the name of Jesus as being this one God in one that Jesus is the Father, Jesus is the Son or the Son and the Spirit that that would be an invalid baptism, just like we would say that to all Roman Catholics, that their baptism is invalid um, because it doesn't remove original sin and it doesn't bring them into the grace of God. But we're getting down to, you know, like what we're saying here is, this does matter. We believe, as you said, that there is a role in which the church is given. And I think sometimes growing up in an independent fundamentalist Baptist church, not to knock them either, but to just say that sometimes we take a, or we are growing up or around an environment where there's not a lot of emphasis on the ecclesiology of the church. But it is important. God lays it out. There is structure there. I don't mm-hmm. think anyone, I think we've talked about this when we were dealing with the 1689 on baptism, not anyone should just be up there baptizing people. Not anyone should just be administering the, 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 the communion, the Lord's Supper shouldn't be doing it online. You know what I mean? So like, these are things that are important and we look at those and we value those things as important because God's word has given those to the church. And so we, we try to adhere those to the best of our ability to the scriptures.
1: Yeah. And I think this is important when we kind of considered now in church history. So as I kind of mentioned it, you have kind of this donatist controversy donatist um chasm not chasm the uh, donatist controversy happens late 300s early 400s it has ramifications that even augustine is addressing at some point in parts of his um works and what this is it's named after a guy i forgot his name but it's closely related to Donatist. Um, it might have been like Donis Tittis or something like that. I should have remembered it, but I don't. And kind of what happens even before he's involved is you have persecution within the Roman Empire. And Christians are turning in like heretical, heretical books, saying that they're scripture. People are turning in scripture to be destroyed. People are worshiping the deity. And so now you have this question is, what do we do with these people? They're called traitors. They've kind of went against the church and in cartilage. So in North Africa, this comes ahead that the Bishop of cartilage there dies. And so now there's and in one sense, rival bishops, one that would be within kind of the Catholic tradition, a small C Catholic, and then your kind of Donatist group. Now the, the Donatist group, the one who are, are causing kind of the raising up these issues. They elect their Bishop. He dies shortly around the time he's picked. And so they picked this other guy, which is where the controversy comes through. Um, the Donatist name comes from. And so the question really, centered on whether the bishop um, Cean, Cic- who is with kind of the Catholic tradition is his um, baptisms he's performed, is every other rites he's performed valid because the person who consecrated him was a traitor. He gave in into the persecution to save himself. He um, so he's done something to, in their eyes, made them not made him not holy and invalidating his position. therefore, anyone he's consecrated is now has an invalid position. So the Don sister really worried about the holiness of the church, which we should be concerned about. let's un- you know, understand that they're not some outwards but the question then centers is does the validity of a bishop depend on those who consecrated him and kind of what we see and what develops out of this doesn't directly answer the question we're dealing with with arizona but it gives us some clarity on to think about it and I think it gives us what we should think about it. So Jossto um, Gonzalez talking about this says the Donatists declared that the validity of such an act depend on the worthiness of the bishop performing it. Cecian and his followers responded that the validity of a sacraments and of such other acts cannot be dependent on the worthiness of the one administrating them. For in that case, all Christians would be in constant doubt as to the validity vis- the of their own baptism or the communion in which they partake of. I think, kind of seeing that, we start seeing, and maybe questions we should ask is: is the Catholic Church at this point, are they. What's really going on in baptism? Where's the worthiness of the sacrament? Is it in the one who's performing it? Or is it the or is it in that it's God ordained? And this is where that the Donatist kind of controversy sets Andy Kelly a historical theologian mentions that the Donatists were worried about the holiness of church. And so when, the, so as they're folded in the, as those who fold into persecution, they thought they needed to be removed. This is what cause is causing all of this because the God won't bless a church that's has unholy people in them, unholy priests and a uh, Gerald Bray, another church historian, both of all of these are Protestants. I think really hits the nail. And I think this is where the issue lies in this story. So, baptism in the Donatist view is therefore the beginning, or he's just mentioning baptism. Baptism is therefore the beginning of life lived in the grace of forgiveness, not the end of sin and the beginning of perfection, as the Donatist claimed. The Donatist had put so much emphasis on the outward form. Of belonging that they lost its inner substance. Think about that. They've put too much emphasis on the outward form of beginning, that they've lost the inner substance. And when we think about that line in relation to what happened in Arizona and the Catholic teaching, as a Protestant, I would say here is it seems like the Catholic Church has moved to a product to a more donatist position mm-hmm. that the emphasis is on whether the right words are said and kind of the and a focus on the priestly kind of this priestly act of the minister against the the inner substance in which baptism reminds us that we have been cleansed from our sins and we live now a new life in Christ. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and that's the, the thing that we have to say to our Catholic friends here is um, ultimately as Protestants, we do not believe that the infant baptism that takes place is removing any original sin but you're also now going into this Donatist kind of understanding of this, like Mike's saying there, and you're removing the the means by which you're you're taking the means and making that the substance rather than the mm-hmm. one who is behind that means uh, being Christ, and th- and that's the, that's the one that's why it's so important that we understand that man is justified by faith and faith alone, not any other. Deeds or any other works, baptism is is a a deed of faith, but it's not the faith that we have to justify us. It, it's not faith itself. It is a deed of the faith that we have. It's an act of the faith that we have. And when and 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 I would say to anyone, because we said baptism is not necessary for salvation, but I would say to many people, yeah, you need to be baptized if you're a Christian. Go get baptized, right? But that is not going to prevent you from going to heaven or get you into heaven. If you are justified, you're justified by Christ and Christ alone. And so, I mean, this is a big deal. This is a big deal for those Catholics. I, I, I just think about it when all these thousands of people that were under this man and then believing that now they're—, they're Baptism was invalid, and all the other things they're taking to the communion, their confirmation, all of this stuff is invalid. To live with that kind of legalistic thought that all these acts now have invalidated my faith, what I believe.
1: Yeah. And I mean, they mentioned, so this is quoted from the diocese in Arizona that. Um, this all happened they say it, it may seem legalistic so talking about this kind of idea of the words but the words that are spoken along with the actions that are performed and the materials used are a crucial aspect of every sacrament if you change the words actions or materials required in any of the sacraments they are not valid and while there's some truth to it they use the example like using milk instead of wine in communion which, I think is valid, like the communion is bread and wine and and the the substance have meanings. That's why you just can't use um you know fruit punch instead of grape juice. Like even though I'm not a big big fan of the grape juice, um personally for theological reasons, not a big deal, but you get the point. Like there's Mm -hmm. there's there are some things that are specific. But we're never told. Like, what are the exact things to say in baptism? We're told how, we're shown how to do it, that there that we I mean, the definition of the word gives us how to do it. And we have elements in that we see and the meaning of it. and. We're told that we're to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But there's not like this this right in which you have to say it this way. This is the development of Catholic doctrine over the years mm-hmm. kind of going into it. And we mentioned it on the show when we were talking about baptism and the Lord's Supper, as you mentioned, um, for the 1689. And that it's not, it's not the person who's performing it. He's just the means in which we see God work. And I think it is telling, especially with the um, Joe Bray quote. I mean, what do these people think about? Like this person gave them communion, like in their beliefs, this kind of fusion of grace that they're supposed to receive in the Lord's Supper and they're standing before God well, what does that mean now? Like, is that all gone? Is that, I mean, what if he was one of the first ones you've been baptized for 20 years now and you've gone through confirmation and you're taking the Lord's supper. Now is all the penance that you've had to do is all of that grace gone. And I think we can easily as Protestants mock Catholics for that, but I think we need to sympathize with them. Like this could be destructive to their faith. Now, obviously their faith is wrong. And we should see, that's where I would even, I would say,
0: I would say that my prayer would be that it would be destructive to their faith in the sense that it would cause them to really look to the truth. That's found in the word and come to the true gospel. And the true faith in which they place in Christ, who would be the object of that faith, for salvation. And then they would be baptized in a valid way because it would be not for removal of original sin. That would be gone because of the justification in Christ, but have now this obedience to, to Christ, not earning any merit, not earning any... any uh, favor before god in that but it is a means of grace in which we we receive within the church
1: yeah and i think this is also important for us as protestants um not that i wish this would happen but what if like john macarthur comes out and he's been disqualified from ministry or um an up-and-coming preacher, this turns away. You think of Joshua Harris.
0: Well, who who was the uh, uh, Art Exertia was a very really solid guy. Yeah, yeah and I'm sure he performed performed many baptisms during his time as yeah. the lead pastor where he was. So this is th- these things do actually happen within Protestantism, yeah. right? And, and and then those people that were sitting under him now, like okay, we were baptized, we partook of the Lord's supper. You know, maybe he was even the one that met with us in counseling as we was, he was leading us to the Lord, you know, and yeah. so now what? So, and I think this plays into it. So this is not just a, like,
1: Catholic issue, a Roman Catholic issue. We even have to think about it in our end productism. Although we're a little bit more free, kind of from some of the theological tangles of... Their development of um, the priest and and their kind of alto roles that they play throughout the mass. And as you get to the Pope, but we have to deal with people who have been disgraced or have fallen away. And I think this also then applies. It helps us to think about those. That my baptism, I'll just use my example. I grew up Presbyterian. I was baptized as an infant. I don't believe in infant baptism. Hence why I'm a Baptist. And, But how do I think about that? Obviously, I think that baptism was, in one sense, invalid. I realize my parents don't believe the same as I do. I may think it's weird that I was rebaptized as a believer. And to, to think about these things, what, what's actually going on. We have to do it because when we come to an, an understanding of the sacraments as a mean of grace, yes, the person performing them should be called and should, I, I would say, fit the description. Of what is required at the time. Like it'd be different if I went to Joshua Harris and asked him to baptize me. Like that's different than if I was in Maryland and was baptized by him when he was leading the church there in Maryland. Like that's different. And ultimately. Where do we put the trust? Is it in the kind of strict right assessment of it or are we putting in the trust in the
0: one who called us to do it? Yeah. L- let me, and let me run this the
1: spirit. Does it,
0: let me run this by you and, and, and tell me what you think of this uh, as a, a way to maybe uh, kind of help explain this. And I, and I don't know if this is a good way to do it or not. Just let me run it by you and see, let's say you give money to a charity or to a a church or a a religious organization, and they're going to do X with this money. And you've been giving faithfully $20 here, $20 there month after month to this charity that's going to be helping kids or doing something supposedly good. And then you find out three years down the road that this money was pocketing or this this organization was pocketing this money or this individual was scheming this money and taking this money and building a lifestyle, one that he could, you know, uh, live off of, right? Mm-hmm. Does that invalidate then that individual's good faith in giving towards something that they feel is a blessing to try to bless someone else, you know, like he- to help some children or whatever the, the cause may be? They still gave, the Lord still knew the heart behind the giving, even Mm -hmm. though the one who was receiving the money and then abusing it was not putting it where these people in good faith thought that's where it was going. Is that kind of a good example? Yeah. Or
1: yeah, I think it is because in the end, you're, you're trusting that they're going to use the money rightly. Now, obviously when you find out they're doing that, you're probably going to stop given right. to them. And,
0: and with baptism, know, maybe, when they find out somebody's disqualified, they're removed. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. You know, they're removed. I mean, probably the one downfall, you know, obviously analogies break down and just to, right. to light it, you know, you probably should have investigated this, whatever maybe. may be. Right. Whatever. Judas had kept his hand in the, the money bag, you know, like, It's, this isn't nothing new within the Christian church. And, um, but I I do think there is that you're making what you, you're, you're doing what you were called to do faithfully and your pastor, you know, he, though he may have fallen away. I mean, we could question whether he should have been a pastor in the first place, but we don't know his thoughts, his intentions. Um but I think that's what what drives us to go that these are more than just outward actions. I mean kind of mm-hmm. how that is. That the baptism is a spiritual act in a public de in a public decoration of what you believe. Mm-hmm. And whether the person that administrated fell or didn't fall, shouldn't really have a bearing on thinking about it because you're making the public proclamation that you have died to sin and you have raised again with Christ and that this Holy Spirit has sealed you for the kingdom as the down payment or he is the down payment for it. And I think as as Protestants this could shipwreck our faith if we don't have a proper view of the sacraments. Now the Catholic Church would kind of be the pendulum swing to the other side in which they're so regimented on kind of the traditional buildup of how sacraments should be that it becomes legalistic. But I don't they're not kind of different in substance. Because again, it's the faith in the person or the ritual, the outside, instead of having that, the faith in God, that the minister is just a tool in God's hand to do what God has called the church to do. And that's all the minister is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that that's what we want to kind of try to think through here tonight, because again, I, I think that well, when you think of Roman Catholicism, you talked about legalism and and the way in which they structure their their liturgy and how they structure these uh, how they say it right they're, they're making this big deal over did he say I baptize you or did he say we baptize you in the name of the Father Son and Holy mm-hmm. Spirit? And so <clears throat> by doing that, you're not going to find that necessarily in the majority of Protestant churches because, if you looked from week to week at all the different Protestant churches that are biblical churches, I'm, I'm not talking about the the ones that are way far left, far off into left field there, but biblical churches, the pastors are going to get up there and they're not going to say everything exactly the same as they're you know um, standing over a baptism as they're performing a baptism or performing the Lord's Supper. And yet they're not going to be in, we're not going to say, that such and such Baptist church down the street or such and such non-denominational church over here is invalid in their baptisms because everybody has to come into my Baptist church or my church, wherever I, I worship, to get actually really baptized. Because then you become like those, <clears throat> well, like Rome, you become like Rome and then you become like some of those other uh, cults out there that say we are the one true church and it only can happen from us and not others. So you're gonna have some differences, but again, it comes back to it's the substance of it, right? It's not the one performing it, it's the one in which we are showing this demonstration of our faith too, and that's Christ. Yeah, and
1: like it might sound like I mean kinda be hard on Catholic Church and I don't think we should take this lightly. Um, but this is what tradition does when you break apart from the Bible. Um, and you see this in churches. Traditionalism creates conflicts like this. Whether it's, this is how we've always done it. And we shouldn't change, even though biblically, it doesn't matter. We talked a little bit about this um, when we kind of think of what happens, like where, when, and how do we do church when we discuss this. Now, the Bible is clear is kind of how we are supposed to do our services. There's supposed to be public reading of the scripture the public teaching of the scripture, the right administration of the sacraments, which is kind of what this is dealing with and prayer. Those are the elements of Christian worship and, and hymns. Yeah. Sorry. Songs singing, singing of songs. Mm -hmm. Those are the elements of Christian worship, but there's freedom in when we worship besides being on the Lord's day. So we're told it's, We worship on the Lord's Day on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection and the new life, new creation. But outside, it doesn't say what time on on the Lord's Day to worship. It doesn't say where you're supposed to worship. Although there is a gathering, You're, you're called to come together to worship. You just can't worship on your boat in the middle of a lake fishing. It's not valid Christian worship. We come together. So there's there's elements that are there, but it's not as strictly defined. There's areas of
0: liberty. Freedom. Liberty. Yeah, it's a make yeah. And but yet still structure. But still structure. It's still structured.
1: There's things that are required. And what I think with the Catholic Church, and this is what the, I mean, the Protestant Reformation went against this also. Was that the church, the Catholic Church, was making all these rules that had to be done. The mass had to be done in Latin, because that's the holy language. you know, And so the people didn't understand. And so these, these traditions that keep and build and even in this today, they're very rigid. It is it is legalism. Let's just put that out there, at least in how this is. But I think we can take this lesson not only in thinking about that, in the issue, what what makes baptism valid and invalid, or the Lord's Supper valid and invalid, but that there are liberties within the structure to have it. And that serves us better because, again, it, it, it grounds our faith in something else, the God of the Bible. We go to his word to figure out how this is to be done, and we do it in the wisdom he gives us in the time we do it. And so in China, where they worship underground quietly— that's the wisdom God has given to them so they can continue to worship and come together. And in America, that's different. We can have the big buildings and the beautiful steeples and stained glass and, and whatever that may be and worship in together openly with our sound systems turned to the max. Trying to mm-hmm. break the stained glass windows, you know. This is just how you know we can we can do it. This mini concert, okay? It'll be in little. That's a joke. There.
0: That's a little joke. But
1: um <laughs> you know, there there, there's that freedom there, and yet we can still worship. And obviously, the Catholic Church is trying to keep it in somewhat a standard. Obviously, they think they are the universal church. They're not, but. I think we can still learn and think about these things and cause it does apply to us in kind of a, as Protestants and maybe kind of a different way.
0: Yeah. And it applies to us in the sense that it's something now, obviously we're about a month after the fact, um, just a little, almost, almost to a month after the fact. Um, but still touching on this, it's something that has happened. I'm sure more than once in the Roman Catholic Church. I'm sure there are other stories of people who have performed these baptisms the wrong way by saying something uh, not the way that it's been laid out for them to say, and then deemed invalid. So this is important for us as Protestants because, especially being that it's so fresh, we can use this to talk Mm -hmm. with our Catholic friends, you know, about the importance of baptism, the importance of Uh, The fact of, again, being justified by faith alone in Christ and Christ alone, you know, these are important, important conversations that we need to have. Now, the one thing that I thought about with this is just like within Protestantism, there are many people who are just church attenders. They're not truly born again believers. They go on Christmas, they come on Easter, maybe a few other times during the year. If one of their kids or family member is having some program, they'll come and see it. They don't come all the time. And I got to think there's probably some of these Catholics that were like this as well, you know, who were not practicing Catholics, but they did their sacraments, they did the things that they were supposed to do. Somewhat. I mean, obviously they're not coming week after week or, you know, showing up all the time, but how crushing again, how crushing that would be to them to find out, man, because ultimately they're not trusting in Christ alone. Mm -hmm. They're trusting in these deeds. But then to think 20 years, you've been doing this, trusting in your baptism, trusting in your uh, confirmation, trusting in your taking communion trusting in these these works as the means of grace that's going to save you and then finding out that it's not how crushing that would be again the importance of understanding what it is that justifies us who it is that justifies us and this is good a great way to have conversations with these individuals because they need mm-hmm. to hear the truth yeah And I just think
1: about, you know, we have the Donatist controversy, but even think about the beginning chapters of first Samuel. And Samuel's mother, Elizabeth, is, is wanting a child. She goes and prays. But you you read the stories about the priest. They're cheating God out of the fattest portions. And you see kind of the spiritual corruption of the sons and even the father, like the spiritual unawareness. He thinks Elizabeth is drunk. Eli does. Mm -hmm. When she was sobbing, crying her heart out to the Lord. And and there's, there's a sense in which I read this. I see it this kind of they're doing the actions but they're not spiritually attuned they they've lost kind of the meaning of it now they're the in one sense maybe the, it's not a good analogy because the catholic church isn't i mean they are they are robbing god of the choice meets by by placing kind of that worship or the veneration or whatever you want to call it, the focus on what's being done instead of the one who is there. And even in the temple, the sacrifices and everything that happened pointed to something bigger, something better, trying to access kind of that holy of holies. Trusting that God was going to be faithful to the promises that he was given. There's a reason why the Reformation matters still to this day. The recovery of the Gospels. the In, in a sense, the rise of Samuel. And to, to, to turn the people back. Um, kind of the prophet that calls. They have fallen off. And these, I think these stories remind us of that. The Catholic Church, even before Vatican II, Vatican II didn't help, has gone astray. The things they claim to believe in, like the Council of Carthage in 411, which dealt with the Donifist controversy, they've gone back to. They would hold that they agree with Augustine, and yet they have gone they have pledged themselves with Pelagius and kind of this repeated that the Catholic church claims to hold to the teaching of the original church. And yet most often we see them on the wrong side of Christian doctrine? I don't think. And so now becomes, this becomes a lesson of, the importance of remembering the gospel year after year, mm-hmm. never assuming it. Yes, it develops. Yes, we get better understanding. What we know today about Trinitarian thought is different than what Calvin knew, and it was different than what Augustine knew, and it is different than what the early fathers knew. Doctrine develops, but the gospel still has to be centered. Because if it's not, baptism now becomes the thing that is held up high and a, a word. Now, heresy is divided, is can come down to a single letter. We talked about the Nicene Creed. That's kind of the importance of that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think we see now just how easy it is to lose course. So I think there is a there's an element of fidelity. We can see this fight and this controversy, this issue in the Catholic Church. And you see what happens when you when you leave good doctrine.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so hopefully if you are tuned into this program tonight if you have any questions comments concerns about what we've been talking about you'd like to reach out and talk to us more about it Uh, you can email us there at g220 radio at gmail.com again that's g220 radio at gmail.com we would love to hear your feedback we'd also like to encourage you to go and subscribe to us on facebook subscribe to us on youtube and twitter And like, leave comments, let us know, again, feedback. uh, We'd love to hear from you. And like and share, like and share it. Uh, That'll help us get it out to more people. uh, And maybe even through this one, reach some of our Catholic friends uh, and have this discussion with them. Um, Because that's the one thing here at G220 Radio. We are real people trying to have real conversations over a spiritual nature. And so that is what we do. That is, we're just real here. Um, And sometimes uh, we know that in the way that we have our conversations, it doesn't always come out perfectly. We don't always say the right things. Just as if we were on the street or in our workplace or just out getting gas and you start talking to the person next to you. Real conversations just happen. They just happen. They're not always planned. They're not always, you know. Here we do try to plan it. We try to plan for what the program is going to be or if we have a guest to come on and talk, but it's just real conversation. You don't know. It's not scripted. So you really don't know the questions that people may ask or, you know, where it's going to go. And that's what we've tried to do here on G220 Radio. So if you have any comments, questions, please, please, uh, just make sure you send us some feedback. If you have any ideas for shows, any guests you'd like to see us have on, maybe you want to be a guest on G220 Radio. Again, you can just email us, at g220radio at gmail.com and tell us what you want to talk about. And we may do that. We may do that. So, Mike, closing thoughts here as we end this program for tonight. Uh, any last things you'd like to say? Uh, be- before you do, the one thing that I think a lot could kind of help us with this conversation that we had to think about is in this discussion, we talked about the Donatist, right? Mm-hmm. And how people would, they would flee persecution and they would be, then others would come and say, these, these people were invalid because look, they weren't even a faithful they're traitors. Yeah. We're facing a time right now. Like I'm not, I'm not a dispensationalist. We're not saying that the mark of the beast is the vaccine or it's, you know, um, whatever else is going on in the world right now. Right. We're not saying that. This, this is necessary with the way that things seem to be going. We've even done a show on it, like how to deal through persecution. It does seem like it's getting tighter and tighter and tighter on Christians in America. Around the world, they've already had it tight. But here in America, uh-huh. it's getting tighter and tighter and tighter. So these are things we may see when faced with jail, faced with fines. Some church leaders may say, you know what? It's not worth it. And they may go. Well, what do we do then? Does all your faith then become invalidated? These are things we we do have to think through. So any closing thoughts? Yeah.
1: I guess kind of the closing thought is kind of thinking about this is, and hopefully this is somewhat of a good example, is that church history can help us with kind of thinking through these ideas. And that obviously they're men and at at best, they don't always have the clarity that we have. And that's fine. We should understand that and know that. Um, but we're not a. This is not the first time this has happened. And you know, even in the Catholic Church, while they claim to have, you know, dating their history dating back. How much of this was involved in some of their discussions? Luther said it best that the the creeds and confessions and the edicts of popes contradict each other, and, and it's some it is true. But going back and to think about what's going on, even in in persecution, as you mentioned, this this debate arises out of persecution. Arises after persecution. Um, Constantine is on the throne at this time. So you have someone who claims to be a Christian, put it that way. And now this issue comes up. So I think in studying early church history, we see what persecution does. But are we going to be the ones and that trust the promise that we're faithful because he is and he will give us what to say in the times that we need to say them and we can stand like polycar and said for these 80 years he has done me no harm who else would i turn to i mean that's the hope but we need those stories to encourage us and we need to study church history because this isn't new The church has been afflicted before. It was afflicted very early on in Jerusalem with Saul. And so thinking about these ideas ahead of time will help us. Ultimately, we don't know what we do when these times come. But we can start praying and thinking and ask for the Lord's wisdom for it, just as they did during during the late third century. or late 300s, early 400s.
0: And that has been uh, G220 Radio's program for tonight. And so, until we go home.